0: suncast is brought to you by sungrow providing clean power for all suncast is also brought to you by trina solar
1: we want to build the first billion dollar valuation community solar company because there should be one and you know we've got the right toolkit to help make that happen
0: hey there solar warriors i'm nico johnson and this is suncast each week I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I'm thrilled that you've chosen to spend yet another sacred hour with me here on Suncast, and I'm excited to bring you today's guest. It took me more than a year to finally get Jake Rosemary on Suncast, but the wait was worth it. I've been truly impressed watching this young titan of industry as he scaled his fledgling marketing firm and then sold it to Beckerman, joining Antenna Group to become the largest cleantech-focused PR and marketing agency in North America. As you might have suspected, I try to get Jake to open up about how all that it came about, and his story does not disappoint. Like me, you'll probably enjoy learning just how close the agency came to closing, only to rise to new heights, an exercise that persists to this day. Jake has been a starter, an influencer, a leader, and a true industry advocate for more than a decade, belying his youth and making him one of the most connected people in cleantech, let alone solar. If you've been longing for more founder stories, especially from the young ones in our business, then stay tuned. And after, I encourage you to head to mysuncast.com and check out nearly 200 other inspiring and influential leaders' stories. Get on the mailing list so we can stay in touch, and you'll know when the next episode drops. I would like to take a brief moment to just thank Jake and the Antenna team and Jim Spano of Radiant ReIT for their support of the podcast lounge a couple of weeks ago in Salt Lake City at SPI. I'd also like to take a moment to thank our fantastic supporting sponsors, Dynapower, EDF Renewables, Shoals Technologies, Clean Capital, and PV Magazine USA. And of course, the folks at Solar Energy Trade Shows for your belief in the vision and help with the logistics If you have been waiting like I have for the SPI content that we live streamed from PodcastLounge.live to make its way into the Suncast feed, well, keep an eye on your podcast player because the episodes will be queuing up starting tomorrow with a special breakfast session that I did with our friends at Silverline Communications. Hope you can keep up. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, entrepreneurs in waiting, solar warriors, hope you're ready for this one. We have a Forbes 30 under 30, an entrepreneur that many of you probably know. He is very present as a thought leader, as an action taker, one of the folks that I have come to admire in our industry. Jake Rosemarin, has dedicated his career to advancing clean tech through marketing innovation, and he was recognized, as I mentioned last year, as a Forbes 30 under 30 for energy. He grew his first venture, Ecobranding, into a leading marketing agency in the industry, helping launch dozens of companies in the US along the way. And in 2017, Jake sold Ecobranding to Antenna Group, now the largest full service marketing and PR firm for clean tech in North America, where he now serves as Vice President of Strategy and BizDev. Jake joins us today from Antenna's Midtown, New York offices. Jake, so stoked to have you on Suncast, my friend.
1: Awesome to finally get a chance to uh, sit down with you and do this.
0: For those who aren't familiar with the dynamo that is Jake Rosemarion, I'd like to hear a little bit about that aha moment, or maybe that spark that got you into the solar industry. You were, you were young to get into the industry to begin with, I mean, still in college, I'm wondering if before college there was an impetus and how how this started formulating in your mind as a career path.
1: So I was at the University of Maryland and pretty early on I was, I was studying history and government and politics and got an internship at a right-wing Middle East think tank, uh, and I got a lot of exposure to how much the U.S. was reliant on foreign oil, and how we were propping up unstable regimes, and and how oil was at the heart of most geopolitical issues. So I wanted to be a part of the solution when it came to just like ending U.S. dependence on fossil fuels. That was that was really the, the focus. It was about national security. Um, it's about 2009. So job creation was a was a really you know big thing. It wasn't until later on when, like, more of like the environmental aspects became um, you know more important to me, and you know I got a better understanding of that. So that was like kind of the like that that moment when I realized that I was like you know clean energy was the way I wanted to go. You know, I got a job at. SIA in Washington, DC, covering Maryland, DC and Virginia. Um, so there I was doing business development, marketing, uh, membership and policy communications, debt planning and strategic partnerships. And, and that was a super awesome learning experience for me, um, really gave me exposure to different aspects of the solar industry and just overall you know, work experience. And that was really especially cool experiences. I was reporting directly to the board of, of directors and that included some solar legends that I, learned a ton from guys like Tony Clifford, Mike Healy, uh, Yuri Horowitz, uh, and I'm sure all people that that you know from around the scene, that DC solar community.
0: Did you grow up in that DC area? Or I was just, you know, one of the thoughts in my mind, just having met you and see how dynamic you are and how you think uh, at a political strategy level as well, did you grow up sort of steeped in that DC culture or is that something that you came to learn?
1: Absolutely. Growing up in the D.C. area, I mean, there's just political, you know, tones everywhere, everywhere you, you look. And so policy was something, you know, that, that I was very passionate about and an area that I thought I was going to be in. And I was to some degree, but, you know, I, I think I, I felt like that wasn't the area that, you know, I wanted to spend all my time on. You know, like when I was looking at the space, it was like, I don't really want to be a full time policy person. I'm not an engineer. Um, I'm not really a finance guy. And so it was kind of just like looking for that niche. What were you studying in college? First communications. And then I moved to government and politics with a focus in environmental policy.
0: Have you always been entrepreneur minded? Do you remember the first time you sold something?
1: Oh, yeah. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. My first official business, I was eight years old. It was called House of Pokemon. And I didn't really like Pokemon, but all my friends were really into Pokemon and I saw that they were willing to, you know, pay money for it. So I was uh buying and selling cards in school. I had a website that I propped up, house of Yeah, it was like buying and selling on eBay. It was pretty awesome. But I was like eight.
0: How did you fund it? Your dad gave you a loan? What's the a- it was just
1: buying and selling? It was just, you know, buying and selling cards. I had a um a Beckett. You remember the the Beckett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a Beckett and I would like, look, I'm like, all right, well, this card's worth six bucks. I can, someone's willing to pay me eight bucks for it. i like, perfect. Great. <laughs>
0: That's great. You're at NBCBCF. You're an intern there. You're still in college. You're sitting in these board meetings. You're seeing lots of things that are coming down the pike and realize that consumers don't know this is going to happen. And solar companies are going to start getting marketing budgets. How do you take that and form a business around it? How did you go get that first customer as well?
1: I knew I needed to build up case studies. Um, and that was going to be a big thing. So I went out and started offering to do some just like, you know, free work for a couple of companies. And that
0: was, you, you offered to help them build case studies?
1: No, no, no. I offered to go and run a campaign for them. You know, I'll build, build you a website. We'll do a PR campaign and do like a big media push to get you some press. Or it was, uh, you know, we'll, take over the SEO on your website you know and just make some updates there to drive more traffic to your website the original actually the original goal was to have a marketing Firm focused on small solar installers to help them compete against the players like solar city that were emerging and so that was the, the the focus at the beginning but we realized very quickly that you know small regional solar installers are not the companies that will have budgets to grow business so we always thought that those companies would eventually get there but we started focusing more um, like up up and down the supply chain so just working with companies more on the manufacturing side technology side bigger developers a little bit more b2b than we originally had planned for
0: at its core you founded eco branding as a service business and you're in college i have to assume either you had been continuing to sell pokemon cards and and had stashed a bunch of money away or you had to figure out how to fund this business was it bootstrapped all the way Pretty much
1: at one point I borrowed twenty grand from from like family members and I used that to finance some of those like initial you know, like more pro bono projects. And then the only other thing we did on the capital side was really uh, we had a you know credit line like later on that was just for balancing cash flow and, and stuff like that. But I mean it's a professional service business, so it didn't really require um, you know, huge, you know capital investment and when i looked at those opportunities like i would have to give up way more than you know i'd be interested in giving up and so you know and we didn't really want to take on more than we can chew and that was like a big thing it was like we'd rather you know have a smaller group of clients do an outstanding job for them and you know use that to Win more business, and so slow and steady growth was important. And as a really young entrepreneur, you know, I started the company at 21. That was, uh, you know, so something I recognized early on. Like there's, you know, plenty of opportunity for that you know, much larger growth later on. But we're trying to do a lot of different things, and you know, we needed to when we were, especially when we we're taking on new things, like a new, you know, type of project or something like that. It was very much like, you know, we have to get this really tight. We didn't require a ton of outside capital.
0: How is that? received in the boardroom or in, in the sale when you were trying to approach these predominantly, you know, older and pr- probably male run businesses that maybe weren't focused on the digital side of strategy. Tell me about that, that process as a young person of convincing these early clients to take a bet with a, with a young company, a young guy like yourself.
1: It actually worked really well. I think a lot of time it worked in my, uh, you know, to my advantage. And that's because the things that we were selling were very new to that audience. you're, I mean, you're right. Like I would walk into a boardroom to pitch what we were doing. And, you know, I was generally 30 years younger, if not more than the other people in the room. It it happened every single time. And I was like sitting there presenting as like a little kid. And at the end of the day, like they had no, clue about social media they had no clue about seo they had no clue about any of these things and so they associated them with young people um and so they were listening you know they they weren't uh stupid companies right um they were they're pretty sharp and knew what they didn't know and uh were are pretty open to you know hearing us out and uh and working with us
0: at what point did you start to think about hiring and who to hire And how did you know that it was time to start bringing on more staff?
1: I was trying to keep things as lean as possible early on. And so we were virtual. We were uh, bringing on a lot of contractors. And one of my first hires was just, I remember, it was like one of the first PR projects that we got. I called a friend of mine who had studied PR in college and wasn't working in PR. And I'm like, hey, you studied PR, right? And She's like, yeah. I'm like, and you're not doing it now. She's like, yeah, no, I'm doing some real estate. I'm like, Oh, well, we want to do some PR. She's like, um, sure. <laughs> so like she, she started and, uh, within a few months she came on full time and then she was, you know, really like my was uh, Danielle Kirshner, she's really my uh, co-founder and, and partner, uh, of eco branding. Um, and you know, we worked together for four years to, to build the company up, um, before, uh, she, she ended up moving on and stayed in the industry for, for a while.
0: How far from the original business thesis did your business plan diverge as the company grew?
1: Well, considering that our first focus was to provide, actually recently went into an old uh, business plan and it was like, we're going to provide drastically reduced rates for solar companies to help them grow. And it was like, you know, we want to provide like low cost services so that these companies can use us. I'm like, thinking about it now, I'm like, I don't know why we were so focused on being the cheapest solution available in the market.
0: (laughs) And you had migrated as well from this focus of thinking about B2C and raising overall awareness of what was going on to really B2B uh, kind of channeling the voice through your customers. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that was just kind of the way we were following the opportunity. Um, And, you know, there was this huge, you know, there was a ton of – Panel manufacturers and racking manufacturers, and you know, there's just so there's so much happening. And like we knew that there was going to be a ton of consolidation and M and A activity, and everyone was just trying to get you know competitive advantage. And so marketing became that much more important. And so you know, we we kind of ran with that trend. And it always you know every every year the industry has a different look. Our focus will change a little bit, just you know, based on the solar coaster. I'm sure um, you know every that that word has come up. I mean, you know, every episode, you know, so, so we had to be smart about, you know, where to, where to focus and we we would follow venture dollars pretty closely. So, you know, we'd look at where the investment was coming and then, um, you know, kind of focus on that. So earlier on it was hardware, then it was more software, you know, and more like business model innovation. Now I think it's, you know, a little bit um, more of an even mix between hardware, software and business model.
0: Tell me about the first time you met or became acquainted with Keith Zakheim.
1: Yeah, so um I've known Keith for for a long time. He's actually also from like the DC Maryland area. It was about a year into eco branding where I guess he saw what I was doing on LinkedIn and reached out and was like hey, why don't you, yeah, see what, you know, see you're doing this uh, solar marketing stuff. Why don't you come work at Antenna? And I'm like, I don't know, I am doing my thing. I'm pretty happy. It's, uh, you know, it seems to be heading in, you know, positive direction. And he's like, listen, he's like, during your summer break, you'll come out, you'll work at Antenna for the summer in San Francisco. If you like it, great, you stay. If you don't go, you can keep doing what you're doing on the side, as long as you're, you know, getting your stuff done at Antenna, you know, you can keep doing your thing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds like a you know, pretty, uh, pretty good deal. Um, so yeah, I, I went out. I loved it. It was a really great experience working, uh, interning at Antenna. And then um, I was working, you know, eight hours a day for Antenna and probably around eight hours a day for myself at that point. Yeah, the entrepreneur <laughs> <your> dream, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it was great. And, you know, I left and, you know, it, it was a great experience for me. Um, It was after CS. I was already pretty, you know, deep in the solar world, um, and you know, got to work with a lot of really great companies. Um, You know, at that point, I remember I was on like when I was interning at ten. I was working with like Jinko Solar, Intersolar, a bunch of others uh, in the space. I think I I think we were also working with Solar Edge at that point. So, got exposure to really cool companies early on that became market leaders, and you know, got to see how you know these campaigns. But particularly on the PR side, at that point, you know, we executed at uh, you know, kind of at the at the highest level. You know,
0: what was the main difference you identified between the way you approached the market, like eco branding versus Antenna at that time?
1: So, Antenna at that point was very much a PR firm uh, through and through. Eco branding never. Refer, you know, we never refer to ourselves as a PR firm. We always refer to ourselves as an integrated marketing communications firm, um, a nice broad term that encompassed a lot of different things. Our approach was very much whiteboard thinking. And so, you know, go into a company and think about from a very uh, holistic perspective, like what is going to help drive growth. Whereas Antenna was just more on the PR side. And over the years, that changed in a very significant way for Antenna um, as they started to march towards full service, integrated marketing, getting more serious about digital marketing and creative services and um, how to incorporate technology in, into the day-to-day work. You know, when we reconnected years later to discuss you know, merging the groups, there was just a ton of alignment at that point in terms of like where, where we're going. And it just made a ton of sense.
0: So speaking of nice opportunities, in 2017 you started having more formal discussions with Antana Group, which resulted in uh, Antana Group acquiring Eco Branding. Can we talk about how that, what that process looked like for you? It was cool.
1: Keith invited me to get cocktails and cigars at SPI one night, like random. I think he like texted me in the middle of the day, and he you know pitched me on the idea and. I was kind of like, we were coming, I mean, we were, things were going really well at ECO at that point. And, um, I was kind of like, um, you know, this, it sounds really, you know, it sounds cool and, you know, I'm, I'm down to explore it, but I don't know if I'm, you know, trying to just jump ship. I have, you know, I've got this baby that I'm nursing, you know, like I'm, I'm like a thousand percent in. And for context, how much
0: older is Keith than you? Probably 15 years. Okay. So 15 years, you're senior Did he start Antenna?
1: He started a firm called Avalanche Communications, which merged with Beckerman Public Relations. He took over Beckerman Public Relations and then acquired Antenna.
0: I actually am curious, what did that sound like from from this guy who you're friends with? He's a mentor of yours. You're sitting having drinks and cigars. What does he say to you?
1: Pretty much. It was like, you know, like what you guys are doing, we're doing a lot of exciting things as well. This would be a great opportunity for you to come in and, um, you know, kind of take over a lot of the strategy and, you know, helping us think through, you know, how we can add value to clients and, you know, add new services and focus on new verticals. And what was really attractive to me was like, you know, you know, Hey, we're, we're, we're kind of doing those things, but, you know, I want, the budgets, I I didn't have the budgets to like, go and pursue all the things that I wanted to do, right? Like, I I wanted to invest heavily in marketing automation, you know, and I couldn't really do that on my own. It was just going to be like, way too big of a lift to make that investment on my own. Um, That was like, you know, one thing, and Keith was really passionate about the marketing automation space as well. So I, I was like, I remember that in that conversation, I think came out as something that was like, pretty exciting early on. And it was probably six months and, you know, four, you know, different, rounds of negotiations before we got to a place where, you know, I was like, all right, you know, let's, let's do it. I, I remember there was, um, it was, it was like a seam, basically a seamless exit clause within the contract, which was like really what would made me, you know, like take it over the finish line, which was, he's like, listen, like in the first year, if you feel like this is not the right fit, take your team, take your clients and you got, we can part ways and, you know, say we tried it and it didn't work out and you keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, wow, like that is an incredibly, generous thing to incorporate into this deal um and within a day you know after joining i'm like there's no way i would leave like this is awesome and keith's been a great leader great mentor great friend um you know great great business partner and uh yeah i've enjoyed enjoyed every minute of it
0: what's the first thing that or among the first things that you did at an antenna group you joined, as, you joined as vice president of uh, BizEv, right? BizEv yes. Strategy. Yeah.
1: One of the first things was was bringing someone on to lead marketing automation um, and to start that division, which is going really well. Um, and we're doing a lot of cool things um, uh, with marketing automation. We're uh, like a HubSpot agency partner, which has been really great. Um, so that that was one thing. I remember it was probably my first week. So Antenna had like a small like marketing team. And they're telling me about the different content pieces that they're working on. And I'm like, why Why are we developing that piece of content? And they're like, oh, you know, just want to have like, you know, put it on the blog. I'm like, but what's the, what's the goal for that piece of content? And they didn't really have a, a great answer. And so I was like, all right, well, no more content marketing until we can determine why we're doing that piece of content what the goal is who it's for you know how it's going to help our business i'm like content for the sake of content is not something i'm interested in in pushing out um so if it's not meaningful and not gonna like actually advance our business goals then like let's you know focus our time on, on something else and that helped us uh you know revamp a lot of the content marketing that
0: we do how's the market changed since you founded eco branding Companies
1: are more mature, more bigger budgets, um, more sophisticated, uh, you know, a bit more sophisticated in their marketing. Depending on um, you know which side of the industry you look at, no one prioritized marketing when I started, and now that's just like a very different equation, especially with these like earlier stage companies where you know they're they're living. Um, you know, funding round to funding round, we'll have investors that will come to us now. And so we we work with a lot of VCs. Um, And so we'll have investors come to us now and they'll say, you know, hey, we want to look at, um, you know, we want to do a a media analysis of uh, a particular company that we're doing due diligence on now. Right. And then it's like, wow, like from a VC perspective, you know, they're not just looking at the technology and the business and the people behind it, but like they're, they want to make sure that the market, you know, is appreciating them, you know, in terms of just media conversations and industry conversations and, and, you know, want to use us for that, which I think is a really interesting, you know, interesting uh, thing, but yeah, I mean, it's just more mature companies like the consolidation created bigger entities, the competition in, in, you know, just like as, um, you know, solar technology became more commoditized, um, you know, companies had to think of different ways to differentiate from each other and that played a big role as, as well.
0: I've always thought that commercial solar should have an easy button for financing just like residential solar, but credit ultimately has been the gating item until now. Energetic insurance levels the playing field so that project developers can now offer the same electricity savings to small and medium businesses that were previously reserved for the large commercial buyers in the U.S. Their in-rate Credit Cover policy provides the missing link or that easy button I mentioned earlier. For commercial solar, it's basically the FICO score that we're so familiar with in residential solar, and it enables savvy developers and investors to quickly finance commercial solar projects. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Go to energeticinsurance.com forward slash suncast and submit your projects today. What do you got to lose? 70% of projects qualify and the review process is drop dead easy. Go hit the easy button on commercial solar at energeticinsurance.com forward slash suncast. Hey, Warrior, question for you. Are you losing commercial solar sales because of high demand charges that minimize return on investment? Extensible Energy's DemandX software is an affordable new solution for reducing peak demand charges by 30%. No batteries required. Extensible's intelligent software analyzes solar production, utility rates, weather data, and more. Then it crunches the data, monitors solar and flexible loads, and automatically reduces peak demand spikes, increasing your customer's ROI and decreasing payback time. Contact Extensible Energy at extensibleenergy.com for a free demand charge analysis for your project. Learn how Extensible's partner program for commercial solar installers can put more opportunities and money back in your balance sheet. Given that you guys see at a macro level, you talk to VCs, you're being pulled into companies that are having growing pains. What do you find are the common or recurring problems that you see clean energy entrepreneurs facing today?
1: Fundraising is always a huge challenge, um, and it's you know it seems to still be a big challenge, even though you have more clean tech VCs and more strategic investment from uh, you know bigger corporates or utilities. Even with so much capital in play, it still seems to be uh, you know, a big challenge for, for companies in the market you know it's in terms of like the technology i think people are hitting you know their milestones i think the the is you know continues to amaze me when I mean, we get exposed to just tons of amazing ideas and visionary entrepreneurs all the time but you know we see a lot of companies that just hit dead ends because of money so it's like you know a lot of great ideas just don't find the right capital to to bring them to fruition
0: so along with that problem, is there anything that in particular you would couch as the problem that you're currently solving in the marketplace and how you do that better than others?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think we've got a really great, you know, mousetrap uh, when you've got companies that we work with are generally very resource constrained. They're, you know, in pretty complex markets and you know, I think our Approach is very holistic, and you know we have to be. You know we know that our clients are you know very uh, sensitive to how you know every dollar is allocated, how every hour is allocated. Um, So we've gotten really good at making sure that we're filling each hour with you know the most value that we can. What we see in the market is our work every day driving big customer wins big partnership wins big fundraising rounds like i you know there's a ton of companies that come to us you know to that point of you know we're just talking about you know fundraising being a big challenge like a huge number of companies come to us all the time and and like their their main focus is fundraising they're like we don't have a customer problem we've plenty of customers we have more customers that we can deal with it's just like we need to get on the radar of investors and we need to kind of you know showcase our successes in the market more efficiently and talk about our companies in you know in, in the right ways, um, that's going to attract those investors. And so, you know, we, we do a lot with companies that are in that kind of position. Um, and we do a lot of just dot connecting with investors. We've got a great investor network um, that we've curated over the years. And so, you know, companies that come into our orbit, it's very easy for us to be like, well, you should be working with this group, this group, and, and this group. And we're happy to make introductions. And you know, I think it's valued on the venture side and it's valued by the companies in our network.
0: Well, I mentioned in the intro that you received this uh, this award, this nomination as Forbes 30 Under 30 back in 2018. I'm a little curious about how that whole thing works. You know, it's, it's one of those things that like it looks amazing on your LinkedIn. And it certainly is a network of folks that are like you, uh, both impactful, ambitious and doing things that are important at a young age. A friend of ours, James Ellsmore, also Energy uh, Thirty Under Thirty. How were you nominated, and when did you know that you'd been selected for that list?
1: Someone in our company had, you know, flagged the opportunity to me, and they were like, "Hey, like, we want to submit you for this award." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, sounds sounds good." Um, and so they, you know, they went through that nomination process, and um, I didn't really think much of it, as I thought it was going to be, you know, very competitive, and you know, so I. Was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, go for it. Then we got a follow-up email a few months later saying that they wanted to get headshots so that um, they could have the people like have everything ready for like if and when you're selected to join. Um, So it's part of that process. And so I was like, oh, you know, that's cool. So maybe I'm being considered, you know, that, that sounds cool. And then we had clients that we had submitted as well, and they kept getting more rounds of questions. And so I was like, oh, okay, like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't selected. And I I really just just really forgot about it. And I got an email one day and it was it was really funny. It was subject line was congrats. I think it was congrats period, like not like exclamation point or nothing. And then it was an email, it was like, it was like Jake, you have been selected Forbes 30 under 30 in energy. Please share this link and use hashtag under 30. And I'm like, is this? spam like i I literally was like is this spam and then within something like five minutes i like looked at my phone and i had a dozen text messages chats on like every platform of people that saw it because i guess uh they only told you once they
0: had promoted it
1: Yeah. So I guess on LinkedIn, like they saw like, you know, your, you know, your connections in the news or something to that effect. And so people were starting to send me like screenshots of the page. And like before I had seen the page, I had seen screenshots of the page. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty funny, but it was a, it was a huge honor. Um, mean, like the list is really you know it, it's a it's such a prestigious list to be on so many uh phenomenal entrepreneurs have have been included on it and the network that's generated as part of it is great um james mentions awesome guy and he started the uh the like a whatsapp group for the energy like list makers and that's been like a really cool network to be a part of and you know, we do little energy list maker meetups at the Forbes events and and things like that. So um, it's been it's been really valuable. And if I look back at like you know certain points in my career where I'm like, you know, that was a you know a pretty cool thing. There's like a hundred of those moments in your career where it's like, you know, that you know that was a really great customer win that really helped, or that was a really great campaign we ran, and you know, and that was really exciting. But in terms of like cool points of validation, like that was that was definitely one that you know I'm not going to forget.
0: Tell me something that's true for you that very few people agree with you on.
1: My big residential solar isn't solving grid problems you know, in, in a way that I think we uh, should be solving grid problems. Um, I think it's really great for marketing. And I think in in an ideal grid situation where it's, you know, bi-directional and has, you know, real-time responsiveness, um, I think residential solar can be great. Um, But I think it's very challenging to solve grid issues, five kilowatts at a time. And um, I think that that's a, you know something that a lot of people would uh, would push back on and yeah i recognize that there's you know many benefits to it but um, i think commercial and utility scale renewables just make more sense in terms of unit economics and you know them being easier for utilities to kind of incorporate into their business models but residential is is a really tricky market and that's why i'm i'm really excited about the community solar space where you know you kind of get the best of both worlds you can get you know get residential uh, customers involved, but, you know, at, uh, you know, with, with the unit economics of large-scale projects. And, you know, that's exciting to me.
0: Yeah. What do you think that more people need to understand about community solar? Community solar
1: is interesting. I think most
0: companies are doing a pretty
1: terrible job of communicating the value proposition of community solar. I'm not going to name the the company, but we we saw collateral from a community solar company that literally had a page in the proposal that said, Two bills is better than one, you know. And like you see stuff like that, and you're like, "What the hell are you? like?" That's not that's not exciting to a customer. And so I think there's been a lot of missteps in community solar is being presented to the market. Um, but I do think it's gotten a lot better in the past year. It's still a little bit old school in terms of how people are going about. Customer acquisition and like lead generation and and things like that. And I think it would be beneficial for companies in the community solar space to pay more attention to the retail energy space, right? Like these are companies that have figured out lead generation and customer acquisition. These are companies that are really good at managing that like utility billing relationship. And I think that they're probably the the sleeping giants in, of community solar i think that we're going to see those companies charge into the community solar market and you know people are going to i think a lot of people are going to be surprised by that but at the end of the day like that i mean even though i mean there's a big difference between community solar business model and retail energy business models but from an end customer perspective basically no difference um this is just another way for you to get energy they're both, you know, kind of marketed as cleaner, like, you know, on the retail energy side, usually like natural gas on this community solar side, obviously solar, but, you know, they seem to have figured it out and uh, community solar companies, uh, you know, have, have not. And so, we put a lot of thought into into the community solar space and we're actually developing um, a suite of products at Antenna right now that they're just basically designed for that market. You know, help companies with lead generation, helping to engage communities, helping to keep uh, subscribers happy and, and increase retention and extract more values from their subscriber base. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're super passionate about, about community solar at Antenna and um, you know, we've, when we started thinking more seriously about the space a couple of years ago, our goal was and we kind of looked at you know looked at the market and we talked to a lot of companies in the market and we were like we want to build the first billion dollar valuation community solar company because there should be one and you know we've got the right toolkit to help make that happen you know and so like that was like uh, you know that was the end goal and we were like okay well what kind of marketing programs do we need to put in place you know across their life cycle to help make that happen.
0: Because some of the listeners may not know what Community Solar is, let alone who the players are, who are some of the players that folks should watch out for? Probably Clean
1: Energy Collective and SunShare. Um, when I look at the people that are um, being really aggressive right now in the market, Pivot Energy, uh, Blue Wave, um, you know Ampion, Power Market, uh, you know, those are... You know, some of the players, you know, Clean Choice Energy is you know, doing uh, a lot in the space. Yeah. Next Amps doing a ton in the space. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of companies on on the rise. You know, some are the developers, some of them are more platform, you know, players that are focused on, you know, streamlining customer acquisition and customer, you know, subscriber management and, and things like that. Arcadia Power is also one that I think is, uh, is important to mention. They're doing some pretty exciting stuff in, in the space.
0: I think folks would look at your career and Forbes 30 under 30 sold his first company, uh, in his mid twenties seem to be a bit of the Midas touch. I suspect that you haven't always felt like you had the Midas touch. Is there a point where you really felt like you'd reached a dead end or you had to do that? You know, the, the, now famous pivot in your career.
1: I mean, there was a a, a period uh, a bunch of years ago, um, where we lost our biggest client, and that made up about fifty percent of our business, and that was like this really scary moment. And you know, I looked at like our cash flow, I looked at our pipeline, and you know, I, I kind of looked at it. I'm like, I probably have three months to you know kind of fill this gap and, and get us to that next level, um, or you know, it's it's not it's not you know looking good. And I remember, you know, first month went by, second month went by, and I'm like kind of banging my head at the wall, and uh, I remember it was the beginning of the third month, and I said to myself, "You know, if we don't close two deals in the next two weeks, that I was going to spend the next month winding down the company." That was a pretty, uh, a pretty terrifying moment in time. And at that point, we were only doing probably five or six deals a year, so two deals in two weeks was. You know, it was basically like an impossible feat in my mind, and I was kind of just like, "I ah, just, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted." Uh-huh. And we ended up closing three deals in two weeks, and then probably I think it was two more deals within two or three weeks after that. And it was just like a complete 180, where we were significantly ahead of where we were. We were way more diversified, and you know, we weren't. Putting all of our, you know, eggs in one basket, and ended up at that point. I think we had to like double the size of the team at that point, and so to handle the work, to handle the work. Yeah, so it was just this like dire situation that you know very quickly, you know, just uh, looked a lot a lot brighter.
0: What did that two weeks look like that resulted in this massive?
1: Well, I had over three months, I had been working really aggressively to build the pipeline and and get, you know, get deals over the finish line. And it was, uh, you know, it was just persistence to, you know, get, get them over the finish line. And especially as the clock was running out, it was very much like, all right, you know, like calling up CEO of a company and being like, what do we need to do to get this deal done? Like, we know you need to get, you know, we know you need this done and we know we can do it. You know, we've got some sticky points. Like, what do we, you know, let's, let's do this. You know, and a lot of that's just like being personable, getting, you know, having strong relationships and, you know, just making sure people know that you're a, you know, a trusted partner and, you know, they're, you've got their best interests in in your mind.
0: I guess similarly, since you've been through it, any advice for fellow entrepreneurs that are currently in the throes of startup life?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't want to sound like cliche. I feel there's there's like a couple answers here that are, you know, always, you know, the, the, the go-to answers, but, um, you know, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, do something else, you know, surround yourself with smart and passionate people that live to get shit done. Um, like that's, that's huge. And just be prepared to pivot or you'll die. You know, if I was, still focused on search engine optimization websites and social media for residential solar installers, I would probably be homeless, you know? So yeah, so you got to just be able to, you know, look at the market and and pivot fast to, to make sure that you're, you know, staying
0: ahead. What's got you most excited right now in the clean energy and maybe even the mobility space?
1: that's a tricky one um, because I do spend a huge percentage of my time just like talking, you know, business and marketing strategy with CEOs and CMOs of emerging clean tech companies. You know, a lot of those companies have incredible vision. Um, some think they have incredible vision and uh, I enjoy poking holes in their ideas, but the, you know, there, there's a lot to be excited about. I think a lot of it's the stuff you would expect uh, like energy storage and community solar and you know, new finance mechanisms that are helping to open up markets. Um, I, I love technologies that offer more uh, visibility and control behind the meter whether that's on the residential or commercial side um, and yeah I mean and you mentioned mobility like it, we're doing a ton at the intersection of uh, energy and mobility um, we've uh, you know built out a, a really great practice that's just mobility we actually spun it out of clean tech uh, because it's become so robust um, covering like self-driving cars connected cars micro mobility shared mobility i mean it's just it's it's its, its own beast at this point um, obviously electric vehicles is a big a big part of that another thing that's exciting right now is the intersection of energy and prop tech uh, property technology real estate technology um, and so a lot of that's like you know Smart homes, smart buildings, smart cities, connected buildings. Um, companies working on you know improving energy and operational efficiency um, within buildings. So that that space has been really great. A lot of the clean tech companies that historically you would be like, oh, that's a clean tech company, are now finding their investment within the prop tech community. And conveniently, because they're selling to buildings, uh, you know, building owners and like real estate is a primary audience. Like prop tech works really nicely with clean tech.
0: Jake, as we uh, turn the corner towards home base here, I want to dig into how you keep your mind fresh. I believe that leaders are readers. I'm curious if you have any particular books that have impacted your leadership style or influenced the way you think about the world and books that you recommended or gifted the most and why.
1: Two quick ones. One is just uh, a book I just finished reading. Um, that's called Loon Shots. Um, and Loon it's- Shots? Loon Shots, Yeah it is about how you nurture the crazy and great ideas that transform industries cure diseases and win wars it has just like incredible historical references that kind of bring a lot of the the lessons of the book to life and this know, is it, by
0: uh, safi Bashal.
1: Yeah. And so it's, it's um, all about how, you know, you've, you've got your loon shots ideas that you have, you have to nurture and you need to do that to survive in business, but you need to also kind of pay equal attention to, you know, what they call your franchise and, and your, your core business. And, you know, I think there are a lot of ways that, uh, you know, that's kind of applicable to what we're doing at antenna, where it's like, you know, we've got our, our core business that we've been working on, you know, working on all the time, but now we're, You know, we've got new products that we're working on, new services that we're working on, um, you know, new ways of, you know, administering accounts. We've got new ways of managing teams, organizing teams, and we get to like test all of those different balloon shots and kind of bring them to life um, and then kind of roll it out for clients. So uh, that's been kind of a cool, a cool thing. Yeah, the second one is a book that I read years ago when I was uh, you know, desperately looking for ways to become kind of like a better manager, um, you know, a, a better team builder, um, and you know, kind of thinking about how to increase productivity and get people to work on their own professional development, things like that. And so that was a book uh, I read years ago called Traction, which is like all about the entrepreneurial operating system. You may maybe heard of EOS, yeah. So Um, that was a book that was really cool. And I I, like, I chalked that book up like crazy. just like notes. I mean, I I think I like ripped pages out and like pinned it to my like desk. Like I was just like, it was like a Bible for me for a period of time. And it it changed how we, how we build teams, how we put people in the right seats, how we, you know, nurture their strengths, how we, um, you know, everything down to like how you organize a meeting and structure a meeting. Um, I, I found that to be very like practical, you know, applicable to my, my day-to-day work.
0: Jake, is there a habit or consistent practice that you feel has given you uh, the greatest yield or impact in your world?
1: One habit or probably more of a mindset is just something that I say all the time. And that is GSD, get shit done. I think I, I probably said it on the show today. And like kind of go into everything that I do with that mentality of just persistence and making sure that I'm kind of seeing things over the finish line or putting it in the hands of the people that I know will, you know, get it over the finish
0: line and just hustle really. And where can people find you, Jake? How, are you active on Twitter?
1: Um a little bit active on Twitter. LinkedIn is usually, uh, it's usually the best place, you know, email or uh, a Delta lounge in uh, major cities all over the country. Is there an email address that you'd be willing to give out? Sure. Jake at antenna
0: group.com. Well, let's end today, Jake, as we must. Let's end with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball?
1: Something I alluded to earlier that retail energy players are going to take a, a big role in the community solar market, and I think that's going to happen. I, I think, like within a year, you'll see. Wow, I think within a year, you'll see community solar become a core offering. From a lot of the retail energy players.
0: Well, as that happens, we will certainly be talking about it here on Suncast. Jake Rosemarin is the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at Antenna Group, the largest and certainly the leading in public relations and digital marketing strategy across clean tech for North America. Jake, so glad to have you here on Suncast, my friend.
1: Awesome to join. Uh, awesome to join the show.
0: And uh, yeah, keep up the great work man oh man i loved loved that and i'm really in love with you you're one of those outro credit listeners too that makes you a true solar warrior and i salute you i learned so much from jake in today's conversation and i'm eager to hear what your takeaways are as well would you mind posting your thoughts on twitter or linkedin and tagging us we're eager to hear how this one impacted you as always you can find the resources and highlights from the discussion, along with the social media links over at the blog at mysuncast.com. And please do join the newsletter while you're there. If you're listening all the way through this outro, then you're truly a special part of this tribe. And I'd like to learn more about you. So in celebration of Suncast turning four years old this week, I'm going to send out a listener survey to my email newsletter subscribers, and I'd be honored if you'd take a minute to let me know more about you and how I can mold Suncast into something that serves and piques your interest. Join the newsletter so you don't miss that email, okay? Finally, I'd like to thank Aurora Solar for supporting Suncast throughout the summer, culminating in a fantastic Suncast Live event in San Francisco last week. That interview with co founder Sam Adiemo will be published here next month, so stay tuned. You know, I'm really so happy that you chose yet again to be here with us on Suncast. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.